when you're buying assets that are that size, you're really buying businesses. Because we're buying a business, you need someone on that operations team that knows how to run a business, they know how to manage people, they know how to put in systems and procedures and processes in place to be able to set the KPIs to make sure that if things start to go south, you know it sooner rather than later and you can make those pivots and those changes. You don't want to find somebody that just has a background in business, right? I know many people who have a background in business, but they have a failed background in business, right? They know how to run it into the ground. I don't want somebody like that. I want somebody that has a successful background in business that I know can successfully pivot when things start to go south. Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings, where you'll learn from the world's most savvy syndicators and investors exactly what it takes to invest in apartment building syndications. Now, here's your host, Mark Allen Kenny. Hey everybody, welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings. I'm Mark Allen Kenny, and our guest today is Dan Hanford. Dan is a managing partner with PassiveInvesting.com, which is a national firm based in the Carolinas. He has led his apartment syndication company to acquire over 2,000 units with a portfolio valued at over $220 million in just under 24 months. He also hosts the very popular podcast, Multifamily Investor Nation, and Dan is also a passive apartment investor himself with over 4,500 units in 21 different syndication investments. Dan, I'm very excited to talk with you. I'd love to learn more about what you're currently up to and how you got started in real estate. Sure. Well, it kind of goes back to when I was in chiropractic college because I'm a chiropractor by trade. And when I was in chiropractic college, all of the students in my class, so I was in my first quarter there, they have quarters instead of semesters. There's you know four of them that go on every year. And I, obviously, when you're in chiropractic college, you have to learn about the structure of the skeletal system, especially the spine, right? And so, in the bookstore, there was a spine model that was being sold for $189.95. And I heard a lot of students complaining about how expensive it was. And so, I was like, well, let me go see what the bookstore spine is, what the bookstore is selling as far as the spine is concerned and found out. Uh, who the manufacturer was and went and found it, one of their distributors that was selling it online. And I was able to call that, that distributor up and say, hey, you know, what could I get for this if I got an order of, say, 20 of these together? And they said, well, we can get it to you for $65 and that'll include shipping. So to me, I'm thinking, well, I'll just sell it for, you know, $5 more. So $69.95 is what I was selling it for. But these are college students. So I didn't want to have any like IOUs or anything like that. So I was like, you got to have money up front, check, cash, PayPal, whatever it was. And I sold 80 of them the first week. And so what I did is, is I went back to that spine and I was like, who is the actual manufacturer? Let me see if I can cut out this distributor. And so I went from the distributor straight to the manufacturer and I was able to get that exact same spine model, including the shipping for $42 and 48 cents. And I'll never forget that number because it was a matter of a couple hundred dollars to over a thousand dollars or more in, in profits um, in selling those 80 spines. And from there, it opened me up to start my really first, my, my very first successful business that I still have today called shopanatomical.com. And we sell all types of skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and all kinds of, you know, anatomy models to colleges and doctor's offices and universities all across the country and around the world. And I still have that company today. And that company um, still continues to do 
seven figures of revenue, have a team that runs that for me. And then the profits that I was making off of that allowed me to be able to start my very first chiropractic practice um, debt-free. And even today, I now have four clinics and they're all debt-free. And now, fast forward a little bit, these clinics have converted from chiropractic clinics to actually a alternative medicine type clinic where we do a lot of injection-based therapies for people who have a lot of arthritis. We do a lot of regenerative medicine like prolotherapy, PRP, stem cell treatments, those types of things for various orthopedic conditions. So we do a lot of non-surgical orthopedics. But with those businesses, uh, my, my, my wife and I own both of them, I mean, all of them 100%. We started to make, you know, a lot of, we started, started to receive a lot of cash flow off of them. And we were starting to write, write these really large six figure checks to the government. And so going down the path of trying to figure out how to reduce that, I fell in love with real estate. And it was probably about, you know, a year and a half to two years of really studying it to determine, was this really what I wanted to do? And then I, I, I promoted my COO to the CEO position and I stepped out and I haven't been in the clinics for over two years and he's been running it. And I still have a corporate meeting once a month with my team and still look at financial reports every week to kind of have a, a Warren Buffett view, if you will, on how the, how the businesses are going. Um, but that allowed me to kind of get into the multifamily business and do it full time and really start to expand it and use those same skills starting those businesses to really kind of start this business with a syndication company, which is the new PassiveInvesting.com group. Awesome. So you mentioned you studied real estate for two and a half years first. So just can you walk me through that process? Did you find a mentor? Were there books that led you to your first deal? Um, what was that education like for you? Sure. Yeah. So that first year and a half, two years was really kind of a low level reading books, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, you know, YouTube, YouTube videos. It really wasn't any kind of paid mentoring program because at the time I was still going into the clinics and, you know, putting out fires, if you will, and running the day to day operations. And so I didn't really have a time to really hire a mentor or go to conferences or anything like that. But once I kind of made that transition out and made that decision, that this is what I wanted to do. I hired my hired a mentor that I knew was going to be able to help me because they were already where I wanted to be. And then I started to invest passively first. And then once I started to invest passively and see the benefits there, I actually started to, to syndicate or co-syndicate with other sponsors. Um, usually, I think it was like two or three deals that we did that with. And then after that, when I got comfortable and started building my credibility, I put together our first deal and our group PassiveInvesting.com put together this first deal, which was a 130 unit property and $8.9 million, which was the very first one we did. Wow. That is amazing. So for the mentor that you sought out, obviously there are so many different coaching programs and types of mentors in real estate. Did you find someone who specializes in syndications? I know you mentioned your first deal was uh, investing as a passive investor, but was was your mentor also setting you up to later go on uh, to be uh, the sponsor operator of, of your own deals? Yeah. So when I was trying to find a mentor, I wanted to find somebody that was already doing things on a high level like I wanted to be doing. And in finding this mentor, I wanted to make sure I had direct access to that mentor and I didn't have to go through any type of coaches, like student coaches or anything like that. And I was willing to pay up. You know, I wanted to be able to pay up to be able to have that direct access and to be able to have that, you know, direct phone number to, hey, call this person, you know, this mentor right away, if I'm in the middle of a, you know, a, a, a negotiation or a closing or whatever, needed that quick advice, I could have that. And I will tell you that I've had to use that lifeline many times. And the very first time I had to use it was on that very first deal. And I believe to this day that it was the reason why I was awarded that deal. 
So you were able to grow pretty quickly. I mean, you went, uh, what was it? You went to 2000 or over 2000 units in just under 24 months. That's super impressive. So how, how were you able to do that? Would you say that the mentorship helped as the main, the main reason for that? Or was it your drive as an individual? I think it's a, it was a combination of both. I mean, you know, there, there was definitely a level of drive and, and, and background and success that I had already had, which kind of, you know, drove me to continue to be successful. But I think at the same time, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today. And in those first 24 months, if I didn't, you know, have a mentor that could actually guide me and direct me and kind of pull me along. And the way I, the way I treated my mentor was, is, is, is his type of his program is like, Hey, you call, you schedule a call with me whenever you want. Here's a link to my calendar you schedule. But if you have an emergency phone call, or you need something, you need to get a hold of me right away. Just call me. Right. And, uh, and so every week for the first probably three or four months, about twice a week, sometimes three times a week, I was on the phone call with them, just, you know, going through the material, asking questions, and you're really trying to digest the, the, the material. And then it went to once a week, once every other week. And even today, you know, now I'm still on the phone call with them, you know, every other week and uh, trying to, you know, continue to stay in contact with them. And the way I do it is, is throughout the week, as I have questions, I have a, a, I use a software called Asana, which is a task management software. And I, I have a task in there that actually is a list of questions that I have throughout the week. And then that way I can kind of compile those questions. And then next time I jump on a phone call with them, we can go through those questions and really get them answered. But I mean, it's, it's really been very beneficial for to, be able to have somebody like that to be able to accelerate and to get to the point where I am today. So what advice would you give to someone just starting out? I know you had a lot of success with your four clinics and you moved over to real estate, but you, you did you had a lot of success before that. So what advice would you give to someone who, who's just starting out? Maybe they're not a business owner. Maybe uh, they don't have that track record. Uh, maybe they don't even believe they can acquire so many units in such a short period of time like you did. Um, what's the first step for, for someone just starting out? Sure. I mean, I think there's there's really three things. So first step would be be edu- get educated, right? So start to start to read books, start to go through podcasts, start to go through a lot of the material on YouTube and you know all these different resources that are available for you that are free, right? Go through those first. Of one, make sure that you want to do it, and number two, that you actually like to do it, right? And and if you continue to want to do it, then number two, you what you should do is is you should go find a mentor, right? Um, find that mentor that will you'll be able to connect with, and that you'll be able to really learn from. And then the the third thing is is really trying to find other people that you can partner with, because if you this 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 is this business is is not hard, and, and if you just look at all the different things that you have to do, but it's. It's, 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 well, let me back up. It's not complicated, right? It, it is, it can be hard and challenging because there's so many different pieces of the part of, of the, of the pie, right? And so many different things that have to be done from acquisitions to construction management, to property management, to asset management, to underwriting a deal, fi- doing the financing piece of it. You know, we're still, we're still trying to, you know, find investors and do all of it at the same time. Like you can't just do one of them at a time. They have to all be going on at the same time. And that's one of the reasons why I have two other partners in our group. It's myself. I have Danny Randazzo and Brandon Abbott, and they all have different specific lanes and roles that they play in the group, which allows us to be able to continue to succeed. Sure, sure. 
That's uh, yeah, I mean, that's great advice. So I wanted to ask you specifically, I find it very interesting uh, that you started as a passive investor. And not only that, but you invested in over 4,500 units with 21 different syndications as a passive investor. Um, And I was curious what that process has been like for you. Um, How much was that before you were sponsoring your own deals? Uh, Do you continue to invest in other people's deals? And how, how does that play into your current strategy? Sure. So only about two of those, maybe three were before um, I started doing things actively and all of the rest of them have been afterwards. And, I, and and it's with eight different operators. So it's not just one operator, it's with eight different operators. And I'm still actively seeking investments to be able to place my money into because even though I am actively putting deals together myself, I'm also still cash flowing off of my other other businesses. And I still want to be able to make sure that that capital is working for me is being placed. And so also, and also it's, it's for diversification, right? I want to make sure I diversify my investments. And so I do a lot of work of, of vetting other operators, making sure that they actually go through my own due diligence process of making sure they have certain things and certain criteria that I want to invest in. So I chase after operators that are in markets that I want to be in and assets that I want to be in. So you know, I'm, I'm kind of you know strict on who I who I invest in and where I invest my, my, my funds. Um, and it's, it's interesting because even a lot of our own passive investors like that because I'm a resource for them when they're trying to place their capital. You know, I know our, our investors are not just looking at us to place capital. They're looking at other operators as well. And if I can give them a little bit of feedback on, you know, who I have experience with, it actually bodes really well for, for them. And it, of course, builds our own credibility. So how, how do you go about that for, for a passive investor who knows maybe they want to move money out of the stock market, they like multifamily, uh, say they even know their market, say, say they want to invest in North Carolina, South Carolina, what's the best way for them to learn about operators in that market? And then once they have a few in mind, what's the best process for them to vet those operators? Sure. So, I mean, I think you have to, for one, anybody who you are currently looking at investing in, ask them if they have any recommendations for other operators because the chances are they probably have some other operators that they like working with. So, if you like working with them, chances are they're going to have people that they like working with and you'll be able to find some people that you can start to vet. That's one of the best ways to do that. Obviously, there's other ways like you can just go to Google and type in multifamily syndication operators or whatever. Then it's just kind of, you know, you know, just hoping you get the right one, right? Um, usually referrals are the best way to do it in this business. And the, 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 what you want to do once you actually know, those, know, know who those operators are is go to their websites, fill out their investor forms, jump on phone calls with them and ask them questions about their group and kind of ask them about how they're doing things, where, where their markets are, you know, how, are, they, how, are their, how is their underwriting. There's a, and then there's a lot of different things that I look at and I'll just give you a couple of things that I look for myself just to kind of, you know, help you out here. The first thing I look for is, is, is there somebody on that team that has some form of background and success in business? Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm only investing passively in apartments that are at least a hundred units or more, right? Preferably minimum 10 million in acquisition. And our, our group only requires minimum 20 million acquisition, but when I'm placing capital, it's minimum 10 million. But when you're buying business, when you're buying assets that are that size, you're really buying businesses. At the end of the day, we're buying a business that just so happens to have an asset associated with it, which is really, really nice from a tax, tax perspective. But because we're buying a business, you need someone on that operations team that knows how to run a business, they know how to manage people, they know how to put in systems and procedures and processes 
policies in place to be able to set the, set the, set the KPIs to make sure that if things start to go south, you know it sooner rather than later and you can make those pivots and those changes. And it's, you don't want to find somebody that just has a background in business, right? I know many people who have a background in business, but they have a failed background in business, right? They know how to run it into the ground. I don't want somebody like that. I want somebody that has a successful background in business that I know can successfully pivot when things start to go south, right? And so that's, that's probably the number one thing. The second thing that I look for is, is that I want to make sure that there's more than one operator on the team. If there's just one partner on the team, I don't invest with them because I've seen people who have invested with operators before that there's only one person on the team and the problem is is that what happens if that one person dies in a car accident or on a plane crash or goes ghost on you which has happened I've seen it before I know somebody that has actually invested he invested 200,000 and his buddy invested 200,000 six months into the deal the operator went, went ghost on him and they can't find him and of course in the actual operating agreement, it says that, you know, if there's any issues, you have to have an arbitration. Well, how do you arbitrate with somebody that you can't even find? So then you're kind of stuck here. Your money's tied up. You're not getting distributions. The asset's still there, but how do you take it back, right? And for, for me, the kind of an extra hedge of protection is if there's at least two, ideally three operate or partners in that operations team, then the chances of all three of them going ghost are a lot less, right? A lot, lot less likely. And then the third thing that I would, always, I would say is that I always look for a deal that has preferred returns. I feel like it's a true alignment of interest to be able to provide those returns to the investors first to protect their returns before the actual operator's returns. And so in every deal that we put together at our group, we have, we have preferred returns. But every deal that I invest in, I look for those preferred returns as well. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. So real quick, back to the active side and the assets that you're currently managing. I'm very curious what you're seeing as far as the economy right now, um, how COVID-19 may have affected your strategies this year. Um, are you currently making any changes based on what's happening right now? Sure, sure. So even before all this happened, one of the things that we started to do in 2020 is, you know, we've been looking for a B plus assets in A class areas, but now we're even looking for A class assets in, of course, A class areas and very strong stabilized markets, preferably with 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 blue chip corporations surrounding the actual market itself to create that stability. And, um, and so one of the things we've done moving forward into 2020, but now we have this COVID-19 is we have to underwrite a little bit differently, right? Like right now it's kind of hard to underwrite because we're in the middle of this thing right now. It's the end of March, March 31st. And really, we don't really know where the debt market is right now. It's like every hour it's changing. You can get different rates every single hour. And so it's very hard to underwrite. So you have to have a range of, of, of interest rates and, and LTVs and things like that when you're underwriting a particular deal. But also when you're underwriting a deal that has a large renovation budget, then, and you have a stabilization time frame of that renovations, you're going to probably need to extend that renovation timeline by at least probably six to nine months. So if you originally planned 12 months, it's going to be 18 to 24 months. Or if it was 24 months, it's going to have to probably go closer to, you know, maybe even three years, right? Because of how long it's going to take to kind of get out on the other end of this. Now, 
on the other end of this, I think long term, this is going to our, our the multifamily market is still strong. There's still lots of demand, and you know, large you know you know national and and world pandemics like this create three things. They create divorces, marriages, and and births, which all three of those things increase demand for multifamily. So long term, this this I'm not worried at all about the multifamily markets. It's just in the short term, you got to underwrite things a little bit a little bit differently, and you also have to stay on top of you know especially the the the, the weekly rent collections, especially right now, because tomorrow, April 1st, rent's due. We're going to see how many of those residents are actually paying those rents. Awesome. So now it's that time in the show for a segment called Best Deal, Worst Deal, where we talk about real estate transactions that you've done in the past so that others can learn from your knowledge and expertise. So Dan, with that said, what's the best real estate deal that you've done? I think the best the best deal so far is going to be probably our very first one, right? Because without that very first deal, we wouldn't be where we are today, right? Because that very first deal kind of like really put us on the map, if you will, the one that we put together ourselves. And then the the next one from that one would be our most recent one that we closed in October of last year, which allowed us to be able to close a $50 million plus deal. It was a $51.5 million deal that we closed, raised $14 million in just under two weeks. And so far, that asset has performed really well. And, and all of our assets so far up to this point have never not been able to make those distributions, right? So we've always been able to make distributions as we originally planned. But when we we're talking about right now with COVID-19, will that change? I don't know. And so far, we have plenty of you know, operating reserves in our, each one of our assets. And so it shouldn't have that, major, that big of an impact, um, especially with all the economic stimulus that's happening from the federal government. But we'll see how that happens in the future. Sure, sure. So that first deal, um, I agree with you. As a, as a sponsor, that first deal is so important because everything has to go right. Um, you know, if you're just starting out, your reputation is based on the success of that first deal. Um, how did you ensure that your deal was a success? How did you surround yourself with the right people? And how did, how did you even know that you had a deal if, if you hadn't done one before? Well, and, that, and at that time, I had my mentor, right? So I was you know, working very closely with my mentor, going through the underwriting, going through the acquisition phase, putting in the, the, the letter of intent for the, to acquire the asset. And by the time we had closed on that property, our, our team was already put together, right? And so being able to co-syndicate with other sponsors first helped to build that credibility and helped to build that confidence. And so when I went to go and put an offer on that very first you know, deal that we had, we had already had a little bit of credibility from being a co-GP and a co-sponsor with some of these other groups and we all to put together our, our, our own deal. And so for somebody who's in that process, I always say, go be a co-G with some co-GP with somebody else first to kind of get your, get your feet wet, learn the ropes. And at, at the same time as, as myself, and I put myself in the, in the investor's shoes, I don't want to invest with you if it's your very first deal, right? And so the biggest hurdle you have to get over is, is I came from being, you know, a chiropractor and then owning medical offices to going into real estate. So everybody in my network kind of knew me as, oh, what do you mean you're in real estate, right? So there was this kind of, you know, confusion factor that was happening there and a confused mind always says no. And so those first couple of deals, it was a lot harder to raise for. And I'll tell you, even that very first deal, the $8.9 million one we raised just over $2 million for, it took us the full 60 days to raise those funds. Um, it was a very stressful time, very stressful period of time. But since then, we've been able to you know, raise money a whole lot faster. And uh, so being able to 
on that most recent deal, raised $14 million in just under two weeks. It's just phenomenal, especially compared to where we, where we were to where we first started. But you have to start somewhere, right? And uh, so just, you know, you know, start start putting those those LOIs together, start getting your those LOIs accepted and uh, put just put yourself behind that eight ball and you'll be able to get things done. Awesome. So Dan, what was the worst real estate deal that you've done? I was just kind of thinking about that and I haven't really had like a, a really, really bad deal, but I'll tell you on one of our acquisitions, we had a, we had something not go, go, go as planned. And I'll kind of tell you what we did to kind of mitigate that. So when we first underwrote the deal, we had, of course, we always balance, balance or bounce the pro forma on how we can perform the property off of the property management company because they're the one that's going to be managing the asset with us. And we, they, we had all agreed, the property manager, our acquisitions team and things like that had already agreed that we could get, I think it was like a little over a $230 rent bump on the renovations. And it was going to be a pretty heavy renovation. It was like, you know, 13000 a door, right? And when we got into the project, we started renovating the project and came to find out we rented, we renovated two units and thankfully we didn't renovate a ton of them. It was just the two and found out that we just weren't able to get those rents, those rent premiums. And so we immediately stopped, kind of reset ourselves and realized that we can't spend that much money on renovations. We need to, we need to scale back the renovations, reduce the, the renovation scope to a point where we can actually achieve the rent premiums that we need to achieve to be able to get the return still to the investors like we projected as well. And so we were able to redu- reduce that renovation budget to like eight or 9,000 a door. And we're still getting like 150 to $175 rent bump. So the biggest thing there was is, yes, it was it was kind of a flaw because we didn't, you know, we didn't realize that was going to happen. Um, all the data before we closed on the property pointed to being able to do it. But once we got into it, we renovated two of them, found out that we couldn't do it, reset, changed the renovation scope to be able to make sure we could still achieve the returns we had originally projected for the investors. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's great that you were able to pivot and still hit those returns. So that's awesome. Is there anything that you took away from that experience that you, you now bring with you to future deals that you're looking at? Is there any um, anything that you're doing to kind of verify those rents and, and, and checking all that stuff out uh, based on what you learned from that deal? Sure, sure. So we, we we've, since then, we actually now have a couple of things. Number one, we're not using the same property manager as before. So we're hopefully getting a little bit more, you know, of an honest opinion, if you will, as to what we can do. But we also now have a subscription to a software called CoStar, which allows us to have a lot more insights on the competitor data on what the competition is actually doing. And before we would you know, uh, rely more on the property management company to kind of do that on site, you know, uh, uh, tours and things like that to the, for the competition. And so now we just make it a point that every time we get an acquisition, someone from our team is actually going out and, 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 and visiting each one of these competitor properties and, and talking to property managers. Because most of these property management companies or property managers on, on site will talk to you about what they're doing for renovations, what kind of rent premiums they're seeing, and they'll share that information. It's, it's a very interesting world out there when it comes to multifamily, but most of these properties are very willing to share that data because they want the data from you as well. And so they want this, there's always this kind of give and take that's out there in the community. And so, you know, making sure that we do a lot of that on-site stuff ourselves instead of relying, relying solely on the property management company has been, has been very important. Awesome. Well, we're almost out of time, but I'd like to end with one more question. 
Dan, what advice would you give to a passive investor in today's market? Is now still a good time to invest? I know a lot of people are waiting 60, 90 days even uh, before they even look at a new investment. Are there still deals out there? What, what advice do you have for a passive investor today? I definitely think that there's deals out there, but you have to be careful with deals that were underwritten in, say, January and February because those deals are going to be different. They have changed since January and February, primarily from the debt side of things and rent and rent projections, because we don't know what's going to happen as far as the rent premiums. We know it's going to be you know fairly short term, you know probably three to six months of a blip, which is a pretty large blip, but it's still a, a blip that's on the radar. But like I said earlier, as a passive investor, you have to make sure that if there is renovations, that they have modeled in the additional time it's going to take to renovate them. And they have lowered their expectations over the first probably six to nine months on what they can achieve on the rent premiums. If they're going out first 12 months, you know, achieve a, you know, 10% plus rent premium. I have a hard time believing that. And so you have to make sure that you're balancing it with that piece of it. But you know, right right now, if, if there's not a lot of renovations, for example, like a Class A deal, I think the Class A's right now are probably the most you know protected because most of these Class A's are you know white collar professionals. They're working from home right now, so they're still working, they're still employed, and they're able to continue to pay their rents because they're not usually living paycheck to paycheck, and they can they can you know sustain a you know two to three month blip if they have to uh, when it comes to you know loss of revenue or loss of income. But even though even even then they're getting the stimulus as well, right? Um, but the, 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 to me, I would, you know, caution you and take care of, to t- take a closer look at deals that are on the lower end of the spectrum on those B, B minus, uh, C, C assets that have a lot of blue collar professionals are going to get hit the worst right now with this COVID-19. Sure. Sure. Dan, where can people connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Sure. Yeah. So the best way to find me is just to go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. If you're interested in, uh, in, in, in joining our investor group, you can certainly do that as well. There's a link on the website. You can click it. I'll jump on a phone call with you one-on-one, discuss your investment goals to see if our group is the right fit for you. If you're interested in learning more about the Multifamily Investor Nation group, you can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com. Or if you're interested in joining our podcast, you just go to mfinpodcast.com and it'll bring you straight to the podcast page. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here, Dan. I really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Yes, you too. If you're a passive investor interested in exclusive opportunities, join the free mastermind at giantapartmentbuildings.com. You'll learn from the industry's top experts on how to build your wealth. Go to giantapartmentbuildings.com.